All right, friends, it is 7 o'clock, so we're going to get started. You know, I always like to start promptly because of our wonderful internet friends who are joining us. So um, let's get started. Welcome, everybody. Those of you who are online, we're also glad to have you with us. Uh, it's good to be light outside coming on into Bible study today, right? That's cool. I like that. Um, so here we are, Romans chapter 10 today. Uh, the good news is for everybody. So I can't wait to talk about, you know, we were in this little middle section, 7, 8, 9, or excuse me, 9, 10, 11 of Romans, and it'll give us a chance to talk about and think about how God works in our lives to call us by the gospel. So good stuff. I hope that you're remembering to be faithful on your homework pages. Are you doing that still? Right? So keep along with that. I think they're the blue pages in your book. Is that what they are? Right? Um, because remember the thought is if you're reading the word ahead of time, if you're praying and thinking about the Word ahead of time, then we gather together and we study the Word. Man, the Holy Spirit will just work in all different ways to make that Word be truth and become powerfully and real to you. So um, the, remember the very first week I said the more you put into it, the more you will get out of it. So here's my encouragement. Keep putting into it and keep looking for what God's going to help you get out of it. That's the goal, right? Um, so one more quick thing. Um, we have our resident candy man, Leonard, who is here and is celebrating a birthday. So he doesn't want me to say how many, but when they lit the candles on the cake, it melted. <laughs> so he brought some of his delicious caramels over there in the kitchen. So if you'd like to go grab one now, if you need like a pick me up or on the way out. So thank you for that. They are the most delicious caramels and these are fresh. Right? They're, they're, they're really good. So, happy birthday, and thank you for sharing your gifts with us. Any other birthdays you feel will bring us goodies, we'd be glad to celebrate with you. All right, let's have a word of prayer, and we'll dig into the Word of God together tonight. Well, dear Lord, Heavenly Father, God, thank you again so much for bringing us together. Um, I don't think I'm lying if I say this is the best uh, time of the week for me, just to be in the Word with friends and brothers and sisters in Christ, and to know so many wonderful people are joining us online as well from all over the country. Uh, just so grateful and thankful for your Word and and its strength and how it just has been such a blessing to us already as we've learned so much about who you are, God, and how you love us and what you've done for us by sending Jesus Christ to justify us and declare us righteous. We are just so grateful for Again, how we've learned about you more and have just fallen in love with you even more than we were at first. So thank you for that. But we also thank you for how this word is just such a powerful strength in our daily living. I can't tell you how many times, God, well, you know, how many times that that um, I've encountered something or, or something happened. And I just went back to something we talked about in Romans and was just strengthened and encouraged by that. And I hope that's happening to everyone in our class, that our study together, Lord, is not just um, uh, for our minds, but it's for our lives, as it just uh, works to transform us into the kind of uh, people you would have us be here in this world so that the good news can be shared with all. So, God, so grateful, so thankful for your word, and pray again that you would just use it uh, to bless us and give us all we need for a life in the kingdom. All this we pray and ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, my friends, 
I call this section last week, if you're with us, chapters 9, 10, and 11 of Romans, the great parentheses, right? And the reason I say that is the first eight chapters that we've already talked about is really like theology. It's a lot of doctrine. There's just a lot of um, meat there, wasn't there? Uh, about righteousness and justification and sanctification. You know, we've used all these big churchy words. We've learned a lot about who God is and how he makes us right and and uh, how he works in our world. It's just this big theology section, eight chapters of it. And we're going to find out the last five chapters is the real practical stuff. The last five chapters, it's going to be, now that we know all of this, how does it impact our world? What does it mean about how we relate to each other, how we relate to uh, the world in terms of politics and the authorities over us? And there's just so much a very practical, real stuff we'll talk about in the last five chapters. And squashed in the middle, right, between the first eight and the last five are these three chapters, 9, 10, and 11, which is why I call it the parentheses, right, the little parentheses in the middle of Romans. So remember last week we talked about this little parentheses, and I showed you this little chart we talked about. We said chapter 9 talks about Israel's past. Chapter 10 talks about Israel's present. Chapter 11 is going to talk about Israel's future. But you remember the conversation we said? It's not really about the nation of Israel so much as it is about knowing who God is and how he works in our world today. So chapter 9, we talked about God's selection, that he called, how he chose the Jews. Remember the little phrase we said, how odd of God to choose the Jews? Remember, right? So the God's selection of the Jewish nation, the nation of Israel, and we talked about how that taught us much about God's sovereignty. Remember that word sovereign? That God is God and God can do whatever God wants to do to accomplish his plan and purpose. And God will work through whatever. Uh, to accomplish his plan and purpose. So really, it, it's not so much about Israel's past, but as we look at Israel's past, we learn about God's selection and about God's sovereignty. Do you see? So chapter 10, Israel's present, that's what we'll look at today. Today we're going to understand, learn to understand why God rejected the nation of Israel. But more than that, we're going to learn about God's fairness and how God treats all people equally. See, so it's really not about Israel's present, but it's about what we learn about God. And then next time, next week we're together, we'll talk about Israel's future. But again, it's not going to be like predicting the end times, that as soon as something happens in Israel, the Antichrist is going to return, and everybody's going to get raptured, and the rest of us are going to be here on earth for a thousand years waiting for Christ to return. It's not that, right? It's not that. It's not about Israel, the nation's future. But it's what do we learn about God as he treats the new Israel, which who did we say last week? Last week, who's the new Israel? All of us. It's how God works with the new Israel to restore us to the place he wanted us to be and about his faithfulness in fulfilling the promise that began already in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. Right? Does that make sense, y'all? This little parentheses that's in the middle of our book of Romans. All right, so today we're going to get at that chapter 10, and St. Paul begins with this sad implication. Chapter 10, verse 1. He says, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. 
You remember last week we talked about Paul's broken heart? We talked about how um, wounded he was. We even said, we, we looked at that really profound verse where he said, if he could suffer hell so that the nation of Israel could be saved, he would gladly do it. Remember that? That's the great depths that he was willing to go, the, the, what he would give in order that the Israelites might be saved. His heart is broken, and he continues that in, in verse 10. Now, do you hear what the implication is in that? What's, the impl what's implied, reading between the lines there? That the Israelites are not saved. See, that's what's breaking his heart. What's breaking his heart is that they've rejected the Christ, that they've turned away from him, and because of that, it's his heart's desire and prayer that God would somehow bring salvation back to his people. Or that his people would receive salvation is maybe a better way to say it, right? So that's the sad implication that this whole chapter sort of sits on. You know, Paul's desire that God would return, that the children of Israel would return to God. So I think the question then is why? Why did God set Israel aside? Right? This is what Paul is going to explain to us in this chapter. What are the reasons that Israel has been pushed aside from God's grace or has pushed itself aside from God's grace? Why did that happen? And he's going to explain that to us in these four things, starting with number one. So now you see where we are on your page. Why has God set Israel aside? Number one, St. Paul tells us they didn't want to listen they weren't German. They were Israelites. They didn't want to listen to what God told them. Here's what he said in verse 2. He said, For I can testify about them that they are zealous about God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. All right? So he's saying, listen to what Paul is arguing. He says, notice, they're zealous about God. And if you think about it, there is probably no nation... There's probably no religion, I mean, that is more zealous about their faith than the Jewish religion. You know, um, they are still very zealous about obeying the law and keeping the law, aren't they? Especially the Hasidic Jews. Uh, Pastor Aaron told me a story when he was visiting Israel uh, at the hotel that one of the elevators had a, uh, they call it the Sabbath elevator. So of all the elevators, you know, there was one elevator that was the Sabbath elevator. And on the Sabbath, it would stop at every single floor. You didn't push any buttons because to push a button was to work on the Sabbath day. So on the Sabbath, in order to keep the law and not push a button on the elevator, like if you were going up to the 10th floor, you'd have to wait and stop at every single floor. Right? Pardon? Exactly. So you have something to, to listen to. <laughs> All right. So you see, the, the point is they were extremely zealous about God and about keeping the law. But they had no knowledge. Their zeal was not based on the truth. It wasn't based on the facts. So they didn't listen to what God told them. And so they made up their own uh, rules and laws. So this got me to think. That a religion can't save you, no matter how zealous you are. Only a relationship with God saves. That's what St. Paul is saying. 
You can be as zealous as you want, but if you're zealous for the wrong things, it does you no good. Right? You follow me? Right? See, a, a religion can't save, no matter how zealous you are, a relationship saves. Have you ever heard someone say, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you are sincere? What a pile of baloney that is. Right? I could probably convince a whole bunch of people that the world is flat. Would that mean it would be? No. Right? You can be zealous about the wrong things and, you know, be sincere, but be sincerely wrong. And hello, if there ever was a statement about the 23, this is it. There are people that sincerely believe things today and are willing to sacrifice much for it, right? But they are sincerely wrong about those things today. Would you agree? So, so St. Paul is saying, listen, the first reason that the Israelites have been set aside by God <coughs> is because they refused to listen to the truth. They didn't have the correct knowledge. They didn't know the truth, right? We're going to see how this works itself out in a little bit. But again, how do we know then what truth really is? For those of us who want to be sincere in our faith and our following of God, right? What is it that we need to, where do we look for truth? Right? I heard someone say, the Bible, it's the word of God. That's where we have to go for truth. Not what makes sense to us, not what we like, not what we wish it would be, right? Not what the majority decides, not what the Supreme Court says, not what your best friend believes, and certainly not what you see on social media, right? Where is truth? Truth is only found in the Word of God, the inspired, inerrant, infallible Word of God. And if we like it or understand it, that doesn't matter. That's the knowledge that we need to be zealous about, the Word of God. Remember my story I told you, I think already, about the gal that made an appointment because she wanted to talk to me about some issue in the world that she was struggling with. And, and um, so we sat down, and because she told me what it was, I prepared a, a list of things to talk about. I had nine Bible passages that specifically talked about the issue that she was wanting to talk to me about. And after it was done, I said, so what do you think about that? After we looked at those nine verses, she said, Pastor... I just think the Bible's wrong about that. And then I'm like, okay, I don't know what to do anymore. Because <laughs> once you yank out the standard of truth, once you eliminate that the Bible is the inerrant, inspired, infallible Word of God, you are a ship without a rudder. Do you know what I mean by that? You are a ship without any rudder that's just going to get blown and tossed by whatever wave or wind happens to pass by. And if you don't have that basis of knowledge, then you can't know God. You can't. Because all you're left with is human reason, uh, which is not a place where you want to be left with. Yeah. No, 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 no. I might as well just tell you, it was about abortion. You know, she wanted to talk to me about abortion. And so there's some clear passages in Scripture about life starting in the womb and conception and all sort of things like that. But anyway, just didn't want to believe it. So that's the part. She, you know, what do we say? Remember, you heard the Thomas Jefferson Bible? Thomas Jefferson, you know, thought there were parts of the Bible that was God's word and other parts that weren't. So he literally 
took a scissors and cut the pages of Scripture, the verses out that he didn't like, and then the remaining verses that he did like were called the Thomas Jefferson Bible. Right? See, this is so dangerous. When Really, what you do when you do that is you make yourself a higher authority of truth than God himself. Isn't that right? What you're saying is that what I think is more important, God, than what you think. Well, <laughs> right? Isn't that what we're doing? So do you see what St. Paul is saying? The, his, his own kinsmen, his own family, his own brothers and sisters, his own nation rejected the knowledge of God, the truth of God, for their own version of the truth. And for that reason, they were set aside. They had rejected the gift of God in, in Christ. All right, you get that, number one? Second reason, they tried to save themselves by good works. Again, I'm not saying this. Look at what St. Paul said in verses 3 and 4. He said, Since they did not know the righteousness that comes from God and sought to establish their own, quote, righteousness, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the end of the law, so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. So he clearly said it. Did you hear it there? They set apart the righteousness. Remember what that word righteous means? We are declared right in God's eyes, right? Do you remember how we are declared righteous? What, is the, what does the whole Bible teach us about how we're made righteous? Through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Remember we talked about the great exchange? That's the best illustration of righteousness I know. Jesus was perfect and righteous in obeying his Father in all ways. And when he died on the cross, he gave us that righteousness. We were sinful and broken, unrighteous, and that was placed on him at the cross. So there was this great exchange. We are made righteous by the sacrifice of Christ. Right? They set that aside, that they were made righteous by Christ. And what did he say? They established their own righteousness. And you all know, because we've been talking about this ad nauseum, right? What was it that they decided made them right with God? Good works, obeying the law, not pushing any buttons on the elevator on the Sabbath. That somehow made them righteous. See, and St. Paul says, as soon as you do that, as soon as you believe that, that, uh, that righteousness is gained by your works, not by Christ, what you are saying is what Jesus did on the cross wasn't good enough. And so what you're really doing is you're rejecting the gift of Christ on the cross, the righteousness that he sought to give. Do you see that logic? Right? When we say that I need to do things to be saved or to get God to love me, then what we're saying is that Jesus didn't do enough. St. Paul says that's just not okay. All right, So a lot of people today make the same mistake, trying to set up their own religion, their own kind of way of getting righteous. One way to do it is what I call salvation by subtraction. Here's how I'm going to get right with God. I'm going to eliminate all of my bad behavior. I'm not going to swear anymore, right? Uh, I'm going to cheer for the Vikings. You know, I'm going to I'm going to make sure that you know I I walk little old ladies across the street. You know, I'm going to eliminate all selfishness. See, in, by subtracting bad, 
we think then we get right with God. See, that's salvation by subtraction. It's works righteousness is what it is. The other thought is just the opposite, which is salvation by service. To get God to love me, to be right with God, I need to add more good deeds. Not stop doing things, but start doing more good things. So people have this idea that it works like this. If my pile of good deeds today is higher than my pile of bad deeds today, then I'm righteous. If the scale balances in my favor, it's all good. But heaven forbid, if my bad deeds right outpace my good deeds, then I'm in trouble. That's salvation by service or works again. Either way you cut it, either way you look at it, right? This righteousness on our own is not biblical. It is not okay. And it separates us from God because it rejects the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. Do you see everybody? It's easy to fall into the trap of both of these things, right? Uh, salvation by subtraction or subtract salvation by service. Mark, are you moving the mic around? You are. Guess what? The furthest away from you is where I'd like for you to go. So just think about in your own life how easy it is to think something like, God, you know, I really did had a pretty good week today. So if you're going to just answer this prayer today, you know, I really do kind of deserve it. Right? That's righteousness sneaking its way in. Or if we say this, God, why do bad things happen to good people? You know what you're really saying? You're saying salvation is by service, that good people should get God's favor. See, this is the way it so easily sneaks into our minds and our thoughts. All right, question. Is it different, saved by good works, different than when we hear someone say, oh, I hope I'm going to heaven? You know, we ask, you know, if, we, if we have a conversation in a group and we talk about okay. going to heaven, I hope so. It just clicked for me what you mean. Because what they're saying is, I hope that my good deeds are good enough to get me into heaven, right? So you're right. That's works righteous. I hope I get into heaven. We don't have to hope about that, do we? Because we know it's a done deal. Because it doesn't depend on us. It depends on what's been done for us, right? See, there's another way that so easily sneaks into our minds. I hope I get to be in heaven one day. Hope I've done enough good. Hope I'm not as bad as that person. Right? Wasn't that a great prayer that Pharisee said when he was looking at that tax collector? Lord, I am so glad, so thankful that I'm not like that guy. Isn't that just an amazing sort of hubris? But how often have we done the same? Thinking, well, why did that person suffer when this good person, you know, why does that bad person uh, succeed when this good person suffers? Or why do I suffer after all I've done for you, God? You know, that thought. So Paul's not going to let that go, is he? They tried to save themselves by good works, and because of that, the nation of Israel had been set aside. And then he has this great word here at the end. Christ is the end of the law. Right? Remember, we've talked about this word fulfilled before. Right? Fulfilled means filled full. When Jesus came, the Old Testament law was fulfilled. Does that mean it was stupid and it was no good? Of course not. It was valuable. It was purposeful by God. But now it's filled full. It has a new purpose. You know, um, and we'll talk about what that purpose is in a minute. 
But for now, he is the end of the law. That Old Testament sacrificial system, that Old Testament uh, law code is no longer valid for us because Jesus has fulfilled the law. Aren't you glad that we don't have to obey all the laws of the Old Testament today? I mean, think about it. We would be wearing different clothes right now. Our altar up in this, at the front of church would be smeared with the blood of goats, right? Everywhere. You know, because we would still be offering those sacrifices, wouldn't we? See, but that has been fulfilled. We don't offer those sacrifices, the lambs, anymore because the Lamb of God offered himself for us on that altar and now gives us the body and blood of the Lamb of God in the Holy Communion. You see? It's been fulfilled. It's, he is the end of the law, says St. Paul. So trying to save yourself by something that is ended, to try and think that, that you can, can get right with God by something that's already been fulfilled is just silly thinking, says St. Paul. You with me? I mean, are you with St. Paul? Yeah? All right, good. Number three, why were they set aside? They misunderstood the purpose of the law. Again, here's how St. Paul says it. He says, Moses describes in this way the righteousness that's by the law. The man who does these things will live by them. By the way, that's not a good thing. But the righteousness that's by faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will ascend into the deep, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. Clear as mud, right? Should we talk about it? So Paul quotes the Old Testament here. I just want to get simple about this. Because again, this is one of these things where people have argued about it and missed the point about what this ascend and descend thing is all about. The point is, Paul is saying, you don't have to run up to heaven to get righteousness. Why? Because Christ has already come down. Makes sense, doesn't it? And you don't have to raise Christ up from the dead. Why? Because he's already done that. You see how simple this is if you just look at it this way? What St. Paul is saying is the purpose of the law has already been completed. Christ has already come down to earth and fulfilled the law. Christ has already been raised from the dead for us. So there's no need to think you need to obey a, a, a structure or a set of rules or regulations or the law or whatever you want to call it to get right with God because it's already been done. Besides, if you want to play that game of living by the law, the man who does these things will live by them. You don't want God to reward you according to what you've done, do you? Do you? What do I always say? Never, ever ask God for what you deserve. You don't want that, right? Instead, ask him for what Christ has given you. That's, that's the gift. So that's what he says. You know, if you're going to play the game of living by the law, then you're going to die by the law. If you're going to live by it, you're going to die by it. So, again, they misunderstood the purpose of the law. I love it. Uh, again, the finality of this word, tetelestai in the Greek, Jesus on the cross, means it has been finished. You know, just to say it is finished, again, misses... The, the tense of that verb, it's a perfect indicative. The perfect tense means statement of completion, and the mood of indicative means it has happened and is continuing to happen. Right? Indicative. So, 
this this it has been finished and is no longer uh, oh I just lost a word it has been finished is no longer valid is no longer effectual it is no longer I had this word it just went right out of my head relevant yeah that works too it has been finished and it's never going to come up again it's never going to rear its ugly head again it's never going to ever be a thing again because it's completed it's fulfilled it's tetelestied it is finished you get it right so to think then that that law still has a purpose of salvation is to miss the point let's talk about this yet just a little bit more because this is so important this is still number three the purpose of the law what then is the purpose of the law is there still a purpose for the law today now that it's been fulfilled by Christ, there is. What did Luther say, if you are you all Luther catechism scholars? Yep. The law is a curb, a mirror, and a guide. Uh, St. Paul really explained it so clear in Galatians 3. The purpose of the law. He said the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ that we might be justified. See, so now that's the point of the law. The purpose of the law now is to lead us to Jesus. That's its whole purpose. Not to save us, not to give us a ladder that we can climb to get right with him, but to lead us to Christ. And how does it do that as a curb, a mirror, and a guide? So what does a curb do? It keeps you where you need to go, keeps you in the path, keeps you from straying in a dangerous place. What does a mirror do? <laughs> it shows you, doesn't it? Shows you all of your faults, all your mistakes, uh, all of your pores. You know that first look in the mirror in the morning, that, ah, that look? That's the purpose of the law. It makes you go, ah, right? That's the mirror purpose of the law. And as a guide, that means it gives you what you need to make decisions. It helps guide you in the direction that you should go. Right? It helps you understand how you apply God's word and love to the situation that you're facing. A guide, like a manual, sort of, to move through life. A curb, a mirror, and a guide. They did not understand that, did they? They thought the law was the ticket to get righteousness from God. And because of that misunderstanding of the law, they were separated, set aside from God. All right? Good? Number four, they rejected the good news about Christ. This is really the bottom line, isn't it? This is really the bottom line. He said this, But not all Israelites accepted the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the... Right, you see that? They rejected... The message which is heard through whom? Through Jesus. This is, again, uh, I'll often have people ask the question, are the Jewish people going to be saved? Because they believe in the God of the Old Testament. Have you ever heard someone say that? Maybe you've even thought that yourself, right? Like, why are they not saved, even though they have the same Old Testament that we do? And they worship the same Old Testament God that we do. What would we say to that? We would say, no, they don't worship the same Old Testament God that we do. 
they've rejected the Old Testament God who has revealed himself to us already in the Old Testament as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, triune, right? So you can't say that you reject this part of the triune God and then you're, and that's okay, that we're all the same. You have to believe all of it or none of it. So he's saying, listen, you can't know God if you don't know Jesus. You can't believe in God the Father unless you believe in God the Son and the Holy Spirit who, who keeps us in that faith. Do you see? So because they rejected the word that's heard through Christ, they've rejected the good news. Yes? The, um, he asked, because I'm sorry to get you, Mark, did the Jewish folks not see the three persons in the creation account of Genesis 1, 2, and 3? And if you would read there, I, what I've read from my about the Jewish understanding of that is they believe that what I would call modalism. Do you remember that? So there's like one God, but he works in three different ways. So that's called modalism, by the way. And so, you know, they still believe one God. There's not three God, one God in three persons. There's just one God, you know. So for them, that's how they would interpret that whole let us create in our image. Same. Yeah, that's just God working in that, that way, in that mode. There's other times when God works as the Father. Other times he works as the Spirit, the Ruach. So... Modalism. That's my understanding, anyway. If you want to know more, I've got a really good book I can give you about that, too. Really cool stuff. of The Jewish understanding of Genesis. Fascinating. All right, so they rejected the good news. So then Paul asks these two great questions. I didn't print these in the, on the PowerPoint, so you might want to open your Bibles there to Romans 10. They rejected the good news of Christ. So... In verse 18, he asks this question. Look, verse 18. But I ask, did they not hear? So the question is, why did they reject the good news of Christ? Is it because they didn't hear it? And what does he answer the question? He says, of course they did. <laughs> right? It's just like for him, it's a silly question. Did they not hear? Well, of course they did. And then he gives a quote. Uh, an Old Testament quote, their voice has gone out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. The voice of God has gone out where? To everybody except the Jews? Is that what it just said? Where did the voice of God go? To all earth, to the ends of the world. So to say that they didn't hear, St. Paul says, is crazy. Then in verse 19, he asked the second question. Do you see it there? Again, I ask, he said, did Israel not understand? And what's his answer there? Of course they did. And he uses, again, another quote about the Gentiles. He says, I will make you envious by those who are not a nation. I will make you angry by a nation that has no understanding. You know, uh, uh, Paul says they're, they, they're jealous even of the grace of God that's given to the Gentiles, and it made them angry. So, see, they rejected the good news, and it wasn't because they didn't hear it. It wasn't because they didn't understand it. They rejected it because they didn't like it. So, again, my favorite theologian, Dr. Harry Went, said that the reason that the Jewish people killed Jesus 
is not because they didn't um, understand what he was teaching. That's not why they killed him. They killed him because they understood it and didn't like it. Right? Do you see the difference? Right? So they, they hear, they understand, but they don't agree with it. They don't like it. And so they reject the good news about Jesus, the Messiah. Okay? Thoughts, questions? Okay, we've got a couple. We'll start here because it's closer to you. Then you can work your way back. Arlo's right here. I doubt it. Way back there, they'll never hear you. My problem is the Catholic Church has their own rules. Things like purgatory. Where does that put them as far as... Okay. Um, so, you are correct. It's not just the Jewish nation who has made up their own rules. I will argue that everybody has. I'm going to guess when we get to heaven... And God's going to sit me down in a chair, and he's going to look me in the eye, and he's going to say, I can't believe you taught the class this. <laughs> how could you believe that that was true? How could you so misinterpret Scripture that you taught them this? See, we just do our best to interpret the Bible, but you know we're sinful. We, you know we've got stuff wrong. So everybody's got some stuff wrong. Right, But the difference is, and you use the Catholic Church, let's just use that still. They still believe in Jesus for their, as their Lord and Savior. They have not rejected the good news. The difference with the Jewish nation is they've rejected the good news about Christ. That's the heart of the matter. Make sense? Yeah. Okay. Um, it seemed like they... Jews at that time, or maybe now, think that they're an exclusive club, and they don't want to give up that exclusive club. So it's kind of like George Carlin. It's a big club. We're not in it. <laughs> yes. Thank you for the George Carlin reference. Um, yeah, there, that was, um, and that's still the thing today. We, we still will protect ourselves at all costs. We'll protect our position. We'll protect our authority. We'll protect our power. We'll protect our integrity. You know, we still are guilty of those same things, just as they were guilty of, of allowing those things to cloud the truth of what God has revealed about himself in the Bible. So great example to be careful that we don't fall into the same trap, right? Of being so protective of our position, our power, our club, that we miss the truth. Another? <laughs> George Carr. I know a lot of Jewish people, and I have some Jewish friends. If I pray for the Holy Spirit to enter into their lives, is that prayer answerable? It is a beautiful prayer. And what does God desire more than anything? It says it in the book of Acts, for all to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. That is a beautiful prayer. I would even add a little bit to it. I'd go, and God, show me how you want to use me to do it. Yeah, so that is that is that's a beautiful prayer. There's no may about it. We need to be crystal clear. If they reject Jesus Christ, they cannot be saved. Will not be saved. So and that should just move us to action, right? 
move us to action and make sure that everyone hears and knows. Jesus said, no one comes to the Father except through me. Not the Old Testament, not the Old Testament laws, but through faith in him. So we have to do all we can to preach that good news, right? The good news of Jesus. Others? All right, so can you see why Paul's heart is breaking? You know when it especially hurts? When you know the good news. When you've experienced the good news. When you live in the grace and the forgiveness of God, and you know how meaningful and powerful it is for your own life, and then to see someone else who just rejects that and tries to walk in a different way, and you can just see how that's going to end, can't you? You can just see where that's going to go, and it just breaks your heart, doesn't it? That's where St. Paul is coming from, they, that they've separated themselves and, and have broken, uh, and broken God's heart and broken his heart as well. So then the next question is, okay, if, if they're set aside, then how can anyone be saved? If God's own people, the chosen people of the Old Testament are missing the boat, then who can be saved? Is salvation available? Is it out there for anybody? I mean, if the Jews can't be saved, then does anybody have a chance? That's like the next question, isn't it? just rolls off the tongue. So Paul is going to argue, answer that with these three things. He's going to talk about the, quote, possibility of salvation. He's going to talk about the availability of salvation. And he's going to talk about the responsibility of, of salvation. Now, again, these words are just my own dumb words. So don't, you know, you're not going to find them in a theology book anywhere. So we can quibble about the words. But here's what I mean by that, right? Let's run this through. Start first with the possibility of salvation. He says in verse 9 and 10, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you confess and are saved. So he's talking about salvation is possible. It's not an impossible thing, right? It can happen. But how does it happen? Now, here we need to be really careful. Because this little word, if, can lead us down a terrible rabbit hole of works righteousness. See, sometimes people leave out this very important word, that. Again, if you want to get your Bibles to Romans 10 and see what I mean. Verse 9 says, that if you confess with your mouth. You know what that, that word means? It means you got to look at what came before it. That. This is a, conjunct, a conject, con, conjunctive word. That. Thank you for whoever helped me with that. A conjunctive word. It connects what just was said with what's coming. That. And what was just said. The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith we are proclaiming. How is it that we're saved? Not by our confession, not by our belief. We're saved because the Word of God is already in us by faith. We've spent eight chapters of Romans talking about that, haven't we? 
right? The gift of God, the salvation that comes to us, not by our works or our belief or our faith, but God-given gift. So now that we have it, though, how does it show itself up? How does it show, right? We believe in our heart, we confess with our mouth. These two necessary behaviors of living a Christian life. St. Paul said there's two things that show this faith that you have, this salvation that is in you. That salvation that was given by God shows up in your life in two ways. You confess with your mouth and you believe with your heart. Okay? So once you have that faith, your mouth begins to speak. Once you have that faith, your heart begins to believe and trust. And this is the evidence of salvation in our lives. So here's my thought on this. Get ready for some Dan logic. Brace yourselves, right? To confess, see, both of these things are necessary. To confess without believing is not enough. He didn't say, if you just confess with your mouth, you also have to believe with your heart. What would be an example of someone who confesses with their mouth but doesn't believe in their heart? Can you think of that? It's all around us. People who, what, say that they're Christians, but then don't behave like they're Christians, right? They confess with their lips that they're believers, but it doesn't show up in their actions. It doesn't show up in their words. It doesn't show up how they treat one another. It doesn't show up how they use the gifts God's given them in the world. You know, it just doesn't show up. It's not good enough to just confess without believing. That's not enough. I've talked to you already about this new thing in our world today called progressive Christianity. Right? Remember that discussion? This belief that all I need to do is say I'm a Christian. You know, and that's good enough. It doesn't change my life. It doesn't change my values, my morals. All I need to do is say that I'm a believer, that I'm a Christian, and God will be good with that. <laughs> I don't have to go to church. I don't have to read my Bible. I don't have to pray. I certainly don't have to give any of my money away to a charity or a church. You know, all I need to do is say I'm a Christian, and that's good enough. Progressive Christianity. That's confessing without believing. St. Paul says that's not good enough. And you know what else isn't good enough? Believing without confessing is not also okay. You can't say that you believe and then not confess that faith, speak that faith, tell that faith, share that story, share the good news, right? Uh, in Romans, it says that all, that the, that all of creation uh, pleads for God's coming of salvation. In the Old Testament, it says the rocks themselves will cry out to the glory of God. You know how it is. When you're full of God, you can't keep it in. Can you? You can't. I don't care how hard you try. You cannot keep it in. What's the silly song we sing when we were kids? This little gospel light of mine. I'm going to let it shine. And then what do we do? Hide it under a bushel. No, I'm going to let it shine. See, that's the thing. If you believe that light is going to shine, it's just the fact. So St. Paul is saying the possibility of salvation, yes. And how does it work itself out in life, in your life? It works itself out by confessing with your mouth and believing in your heart.
that Jesus Christ is Lord. And let's not miss that either. Right? This part, um, oh, that's not it here, is it? Yeah, it is. The first verse. Confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord. See, here's another thing that bugs me. Uh, I'm sorry. Here's another thing that irks me. Um, when people stand up and say, I believe in God, that's not good enough anymore. Because God can be, I believe, in that tree. That tree is God to me. God is a spirit. You know, God is whatever I make him out to be. You know, it, it's interesting that we confess that Jesus is Lord. Think about this. Um, he didn't say confess that Jesus is my Savior. Now, that would make sense, wouldn't it? But did you know in the New Testament that Jesus is called Savior only six times? In the whole New Testament, six times he's called Savior. Do you know how many times he's called Lord? 640. All right, now just get that in your mind. So what do you think that the New Testament is trying to tell us about Jesus? What does it mean that he's Lord? To say that he's Lord means that he is God. It's a confession that he is not just another rabbi, not just another teacher, but he is God in the flesh, right? Who came to bring the salvation, the Messiah's work into our world. So this is what St. Paul says we need to confess, that Jesus Christ isn't just a good teacher, not just a great moral example to follow, but Jesus Christ is Lord. He is God in the flesh, the Son of God, Jesus Christ. So we have to be specific nowadays. Uh, I just read an article the other day that it's okay to talk about God in the public square, but it's not okay to talk about Jesus anymore. Right? So like when people in the Senate will pray, you'll hear the Senate prayers and they're all, all about God, but you won't hear them pray to Jesus because you see now you've taken it to another place. Now it's just God because you can let God be whoever you want. Muhammad, Buddha, Aaron Rodgers, whoever you want, right? But as soon as you call God Jesus, now you've made a statement and that's not okay anymore, right? So St. Paul says, listen, if you're a believer, if this salvation is yours, you confess and you believe, and they both are necessary and important. Questions, thoughts? All right, so that's the possibility of salvation. Second, he talks about the availability of salvation. Who is it available for? Verses 11 and 13, he said, As the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. Right now, what do you, as soon as you hear that word, if you're a, uh, a Jew who's reading the book of Romans, right? There's no difference between Jew and Gentile. You would go, what? No way. This guy is on something. Right? See, it would, that was a mind blower to them. But St. Paul is being so clear about this, that salvation is available not just to Jewish people, but to Gentiles. Because the same Lord, there's that word again, is Lord, there it is again. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the what? Lord, Lord will be saved. 
All right. So again, it's 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 a new way of looking at how salvation comes, not as it was in the Old Testament through a nation, but now it comes to all people through Jesus. So salvation is a universal offer. Right? It's universal. It's for everybody, every person, no matter age, race, creed, it's there for all. In scripture, there are two types of people, Jews and Gentiles. <laughs> Paul says there's no difference. This was a hard pill to swallow. You remember Peter, the apostle Peter? Do you know how, how God had to drill this into his head? Remember the story in Acts? How Peter had, came to believe that God loved Jews and Gentiles the same? Remember the sheep that's lowered down from heaven? Right, this giant like parachute, giant sheep kind of that came down. And what was in the sheep? As Peter looked, all kinds of unclean animals. Right, so these are animals that Jews would eat, like a nice bacon sandwich, right? A nice pulled pork sandwich at our Wednesday Lenten supper, right? That's the stuff that the Gentiles would eat, but everybody knew Jews weren't allowed to eat that stuff. So God shows him this whole sheet and says, Peter, <laughs> go ahead and eat. And could you just love to see Peter's face right there? He's like, what did you say, God? the communication i've got a bad signal here god did you say i'm supposed to eat this stuff and then what does god say don't you dare call unclean what i have made clean clear reference that we're not talking about animals anymore now we're talking about people don't you dare call unclean what i have made clean right so this this was just a mind blower to them that salvation was open and available to all. All right, so anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. That's an Old Testament quote. Anyone. This is another misunderstanding, I think, that people think that in the Old Testament, God's people were saved because they were God's people, but he didn't really care about the Gentiles. Now that Jesus came, he cares about the Gentiles. Is that true? No, because he always cared about all people. We talked about the purpose of the nation of Israel last week, do you remember? They were to be the light, the good news, the teller, to bring all to knowledge of Jesus. Right? So anyway, that blew their minds. All right, the third piece here is the responsibility of salvation. So we know it's possible. We know it comes through confession and belief. We know that it's available to everyone. There's no difference between Jew and, G and Greek. So what's the responsibility? How he has this long verse. He lays out this string of four things, right? What's the responsibility? And he, he does it in reverse order. How then can they call on one they've not believed in? And how can they believe in the one who they've not heard? And how can they hear when someone without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? Do you see the responsibility is clear here? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news? Now that we've been saved... We have a responsibility to follow this down, to, to go and preach, to tell so that they hear, so that they can believe, so that they can call on the one who is Jesus, their Savior. So now we have a responsibility, don't we, of self. The responsibility is to go and tell. The responsibility of every Christian is sharing the message with someone else. So can I just get real, we know each other well enough, right? Can I get in your business a little bit? 
Do you think you've ever brought someone to the knowledge of Jesus Christ? Someone who didn't know Jesus. Do you think you've ever brought someone who didn't know the Lord to come to a saving faith? See that person baptized? See that person come to know and love Jesus? I've got a hunch that most of us haven't. You might want to argue with me about that. I don't know. But all I know is one of my greatest embarrassments about Faith Lutheran Church, and you know I love this church with my heart and soul, one of my greatest embarrassments is how many adults we've baptized in our 75 years of history. You know what I mean by an adult baptism? That's someone who didn't know Jesus who came to know Jesus. Someone who was heading down the wrong path who was running down the aisle and turned and ran back the other way, right? That hasn't happened much here, even though there's 4,000 members in this church. Wouldn't you think that if each one would reach one, we'd have 4,000 baptisms a year? Since I've been here, and since 1995, I think I've baptized maybe four adults. That's just me. I don't know about the other pastors, but four. See, I don't think we're doing our job here. I don't think we're doing a good job with this responsibility that comes with salvation to go and bring the good news, to be the beautiful feet that bring salvation to another. What do you think, Leonard? No. Agreed. That's a good point. You're not the saver. That's God's work. You're not the converter. You're just the teller. I hope so. I hope you've told many people, right? Um, but I still think there's a whole lot more we could do. Yes, Mark? It came on another Bible class that we were talking about witnessing. And it was brought up, is it a sin for us not to witness? <laughs> <laughs> this came up last night in our Bible class. We were in Second Timothy. I would say, yes, it's a sin not to witness. That's, what, that's kind of what we felt. And we, for all of us, and there were five of us there online, yeah. we all kind of went, oh, wow, we never thought of that that way. And, and, uh, and just so I'm clear, like to witness doesn't mean you have to be a pastor or a nun. Right? That's not what we're saying. Right. You know, to witness doesn't mean that you're on the street corner with a bullhorn preaching at people. Witness is not just words, but it's lifestyle, isn't it? It's your deeds. It's how you live. It's how you treat people. It's how people see Jesus in your face. You know what I mean by that? When when people see us walking out of church on Sunday, <laughs> what do they see? I wonder. What do they see? Do they see happy, smiley faces? People that feel like they're the most blessed people on the planet because they just touched God's body and blood in the sacrament. They heard God speak to them. They heard the incredible news that they're loved and forgiven. We should just go skip hopping out of church, right? See, but sometimes our face doesn't show up. That's witnessing too. So I would just don't feel guilty. This is what I'm afraid that this conversation, is it a sin not to witness? I don't want you to feel guilty 
or my whole statement that have you brought someone to Jesus Christ. I don't want you to feel guilty about that. I'm just trying to say that there is so much more that we've been called to do. And we need to look at our lives. And if we believe, then we will believe with our hearts. Then what we will do, confess with our lips that Jesus is Lord. We just need to be reminded of that over and over again, don't we? No guilt. Just an opportunity to be difference makers, eternal difference makers in the world. I see a question, but I one more quick. I just thought of a great story. Here's something I always use that I don't understand why I'm like this. If my neighbor's house was on fire, right, there's a big old fire, and I knew my neighbor and their two kids were in the house, do you think that I would stand on the curb and go, well, you know, they're big boys and girls. They can make their own minds up if they want to leave that fire or not. Do you think I would say that? Do you think I would say, I'm going to wait for the professionals to show up because they know how this is going to work. They know how to rescue. I'm just going to stand back here and let the, the professionals handle the saving. You think I would do that? I would bust down that door. And I would yell and scream and shout and do everything I could to get them out of that house before they burn to death. So why do I not have that same urgency and energy for people that are in danger of burning in hell for all eternity. Why do I say, well, you know, it's a free country. They can believe whatever they want. They're big boys and girls, right? I'm not going to tell them what's right or wrong. Who am I? You know, would I say that? Why do I do that? Or why would I say, I'm going to wait for the pastor to show up. And then that person can get saved. That's not my job. I'm going to let the professionals handle it. Why do we do that? I don't know. What's more important, eternity or whatever life of span of life we live here in this world? We've got it all backwards, don't we? All right, Mike's over here. I was just going to say, I think for the most part, most of us did not know that that's what we are supposed to do. I, I mean, I don't remember hearing it. You know, I, we always, I always felt it's up to the, the priests, the pastors, the missionaries to do all that stuff. The professionals. The professionals, really. That's the way I've always looked at it. I think yeah. St. Paul would say differently. Absolutely. Yeah. In fact, look at the point. God uses people to reach people. I wish he did it differently. <laughs> I wish he didn't rely on me. Right? I wish there was a different way that God had it. Like a magic wand. You just went up and smacked someone with a God wand. And all of a sudden, they turn into a believer. That would be a lot easier, right? We could just run around smacking people with a God wand. But it doesn't work that way. It's like people. God uses people to reach people. So who is better equipped to reach your neighbor, you or me? If I showed up at your neighbor's house and knocked on the door, the first thing I'd hear is, Mabel, it's the witnesses. <laughs> Don't answer the door. Right? It's Look at that dude. That scary dude at the door. Call the cops. Right? Who is better equipped to reach your neighbors, you or me? You, the one who shovel the yard for them when they're not there. You who bring a, some cookies over when they're sick. You who know, know them. They, you have trust and relationship built up. God uses people to reach people, 
right? That's the plan. Mark, where are you? Question, please. So, again, how did we not know? Where did the church fail in not sharing this news? I don't know. Yeah, we've not done a good job. I think one of the very beautiful things in this church is above the exit that you are enter Ooh. that you are entering the mission field. Thank you for noticing that. Did you all see that in our exits? In the door it says you are now entering the mission field. And who's the missionary that's going? You are. You're the missionaries. You're the ones God sends. You're the people God's going to use to reach people. Isn't that beautiful? Right? That's 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 the responsibility of salvation. Now let's be clear. Do we get brownie points with God for every person we bring in? You know, is it like, you know, if you get someone to sign up, you get like $100 off your cell phone bill? Is that the way it works with God? Is that why we do this? No. The, look what the responsibility of salvation comes after the possibility and the availability of salvation. Do you see? Right. We do it not uh, to get brownie points from God, but we do it because we can help it. Because we've got this good news and I just can't keep it inside. You get it? All right. Let's, go ahead, Nance. I think part of our problem is we're such stoics when it comes to worship. You could hear pin drop mm -hmm. rather than uh, going out. And the same thing is going out there and, 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 and doing it. Going out there and, and uh, becoming a, quote, Jehovah Witness. Yeah. Going out there and, and knocking on doors. We, we, we just don't have it in our being to do that, you know, and and uh, so if, should we give up? Yeah, no, no, absolutely not. We can but learn. Absolutely, we can God learn can use us. God can teach us. Absolutely. Yeah. Good point. Thanks. Marty needs the mic. I don't think we need to. Um, get out and preach for this. The, my example is we were ser serving food at a homeless shelter and I wanted to pray and they said, no, I couldn't pray. After we ate, this man came up and said, what's this praying thing? What are you talking about? Wow. And if you remember, Pastor, he then came to classes and he was baptized. Oh, yeah. And I remember that? I do. Yes, and... All I wanted to do was pray. That was one of my four. <laughs> yeah, that's what I meant. Don't confuse witnessing with preaching. Because that's witnessing isn't just preaching. It's a lot of other things. But also, don't say, I don't have to preach. What did it say? If we confess with our lips, with our mouth. Right. So, again, I think a lot of times we just take the easy way out and say, I'm not going to talk about Jesus. I'm just going to live a Jesus life. And then they'll just kind of rub off on them. There comes a time where God's going to move you to talk, to speak as well. Yeah, it's both and. All right. Making sense, everybody. So then I want to just chat a little bit about this statement of Jesus, his last words before he ascended into heaven. We call this the Great Commission, don't we? Right? This responsibility of salvation. This is the last, uh, these are the marching orders. 
that Jesus gave to you and I before he ascended into heaven. What did he say? Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Now, again, the Greek is really cool here as it helps us understand what this is all about. Do you know what the verb in this sentence is? Make disciples. The verb is the main action of the sentence. And then there are three participles. If you remember your, your English, participles support the verb, the main verb. The participles always are the supporting words for the verb. So the main verb is make disciples. And how are you to do that? Here's the three participles. Go, baptize, and teach. So Jesus has given his marching orders to the church before he leaves. And he says, here's the most important thing. Here's what you need to do. Make disciples of all nations. Nothing matters more than that. Nothing is more important than that, than making disciples. And how are you going to do that? First, you're going to have to go. You know, you can't stay in your pew. Right? You have to go. And then you need to baptize. And then you need to teach. Those are the supporting participles for the making of disciples. That's the responsibility that we have now of salvation. Right? Makes sense, y'all? So, here's a good question. Why hasn't Jesus just come back yet? Right? Uh, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Why hasn't Jesus returned? Because he's given us time to preach the gospel to all nations, to witness, to tell people the good news, so that salvation is possible and available for them. Do you understand? Right? That's the thing. So, why doesn't God just take you straight to heaven the moment you become a believer? Do you know why? Because there's one thing you can't do in heaven, and that's witness. Why can't you witness in heaven? Because everybody there already knows. Right? So, why did he leave us here? Because we need to witness. We need to share the gospel. We need to tell, confess with our lips, bring other people to know the Lord Jesus. Uh, that's the responsibility of salvation. Okay? All right, two more quick things. Paul ends with the good news for everybody. He ends on a high note, doesn't he? He says, and Isaiah boldly says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. Now he's talking about the Gentiles. Who's the good news for? Even those who didn't seek him. Even those who didn't know the Old Testament. Even those who didn't have all the Messianic prophecies. Even those who had no expectation of the son of David coming into the world. Right? He's talking about the Gentiles who didn't seek him but can find him anyway. Can we get a yay God for that? All right, look at the next one. Next verse, but concerning Israel, he says, all day long I've held out my hands to disobedient and obstinate people. Right? He's talking about Israel, even while they were rejecting him, still holding out his hand to them. Right? He still pleads with the nation of Israel, doesn't he? To turn to him still pleads to take advantage of the gift of salvation, the righteousness won for them by Jesus Christ. He hasn't stopped. God hasn't changed. God hasn't turned his back on them. Do you see why I call the title of this unit, There's Good News for Everyone? 
right? For the Jew and the Gentile. And what do we say? The scripture talks about two kinds of people, Jews and Gentiles. So everybody, <laughs> we're all included in that, aren't we? So the good news that we end with is that this salvation we've been talking about is available for everyone, Jew or Gentile. All right. Next week, we're going to conclude our little parenthesis, our little chapter 9, 10, and 11, right? Next week, we'll conclude with the great storybook ending that God has planned for all his people. You're going to love Romans chapter 11. It's just such good, exciting, encouraging words uh, as we prepare for that storybook ending that God arranged for us in Christ. All good, everybody? Pastor Aaron, are you here because you need to say something? You're just checking up on me? I appreciate that. All right, thanks, everybody. Go in peace. We'll see you again. Go share the good news. Oh, don't forget your caramels.